Dabo gets the Gatorade bath on the near sideline. Clemson will win its third national championship in college football. The clock's still at 20, but they are swarming the field. Many of them running to their section of fans to the left. One of the great fan bases in college football. All good things must come to an end. And that was the case last night for Tua Tagovailoa and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Their season comes up short in the national championship, 44-16 at the hands of the Clemson Tigers. Tanner Hoops with you in studio Tuesday afternoon. We're joined by Charlie Bramer. What a news cycle in the last 24 hours, my man. I mean, you and I are both fighting the flu bug a little bit, but we're both braving the elements and getting in here to break it all down. You couldn't miss this we day. We couldn't, couldn't miss it. No, no there's too no much way. going on yep. between everything that's going on in the NFL, not only wild card weekend hangover maybe, and then moving over to next week in the divisional round, but coaching searches, what have you, plus the national championship game last night. The Bucks and the Pistons were both in action, and Major League Baseball is getting us to talk about it a little bit. They're still 80 days away from throwing the first pitch, but teams are making moves, Finally, the Brewers. Finally making some moves, right? Oh, my goodness. Has that been, you know, and that's been a thing. I know this is starting a little off topic, but baseball has been wanting to increase the, make it free agency a little more of a spectacle, the way football has and the NBA especially you know I mean oh my goodness they keep people it all year round they got something going on to keep mm-hmm. people into the game and baseball hasn't done anything to they say they want to compete as far as the interest level of free agency they haven't done anything to make that happen it's just brutal I mean a move could happen two months ago or there's still at least another 30, 40 days before most moves will probably be made. Yeah, the NBA Finals will finish up in early June. By right. the end of the month, they'll have the draft. And yeah. then July is Photoshop jersey season because you're seeing all these guys move in different places and you're getting a look at them in their new uniform for the first time. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. With baseball, I mean, the off season for guys that don't make the playoffs, it's a little bit longer than guys that obviously – than like for the Red Sox, but in basketball, you know, those seven game series, uh, you get a couple series going to seven games and then the finals going to seven games. Holy cow. You don't really get an off season then, do you? Well, I tell you what, the college football playoff didn't need seven games to decide a champion. They needed just three. And it culminated last night with the Clemson Tigers winning their third national championship, their second in the past three years. Dabo Sweeney and the guys make a statement at one point they led Alabama 21-16. to 16. They would finish the game ahead 44-16 to 16 and wow. rip off 23 unanswered points. It was just ridiculous, and it was domination unlike anything that we've seen since Nick Saban has taken over at Alabama. Last time he lost a game by 14 points or more, December 17th of 2006, when he coached the Dolphins. That came against the Buffalo Bills. He hadn't lost by more than three scores since 2005, also against the Buffalo Bills as head coach of the Dolphins. So, Those are, That's really good facts. I appreciate that. I've got more to come. I've got a lot coming on uh, for this show cool. with what happened last night, including this one. With Alabama's loss last night, the number one ranked team since the college football playoff was adopted has never won it, has never won the title. So 
you think about that and how they used to do college football championships. It used to be the regular season, and that was it. Right. A newspaper, Associated Press, what have you, would crown a champion after the regular season ended, just be the top-ranked team in the polls. Then they started taking the top two teams and having them play against each other. That was better, and now we're at the point where the top four teams play in a three-game tournament, and they decided to champion that way. Well, if we were still on the old method, then we would have somebody entirely different raising the trophy this season. Alabama would have been the national champions based on the rudimentary method where the regular season champion is the overall national champion. In the five years we've had a college football playoff, a four-team playoff, the one seed has never won it, and the three seed has never even won a game in the college football playoff. They're 0-5. Wow. So the two seeds have been really the de facto rulers of this tournament, so to speak. They have won three of the five titles. The four seed has won two of them. How about that? That's what, what do you got over there? I'm sitting here looking. You're looking right at me, just whizzing off all these facts. I'm, I'm, I'm over here, wow, wow. I'm like, what, what are you reading over there? You're not reading anything. This is just all coming right from, I don't know, I guess right from your head. That's pretty good. Pride myself on preparation, Charlie. Yeah. Well, I appreciate geez. that. Thank Hopefully you very much. Hopefully I can remember what I read about Lafleur. <laughs> I don't know if I can compete with that, though. I don't know if I can go on for a whole five minutes. I mean, I can go on, but it might not be very factual. Well, hey, Clemson with the win last night over Alabama. It looked like it was going to be a really good game early on. The two teams went back and forth trading punches. I feel sorry for the people who had the under in that game. By the way, the line was set at 58 points. Bama was a six-point favorite. Turned out not to be the case whatsoever. I was kind of with the line. I thought maybe that five, six-point range might be enough. I thought this is probably the best Clemson team that Dabo's ever had, and I still think it is. I think it is more than I did yesterday. Apparently, yeah. But I still thought this was the best Alabama team that Nick Saban has had, and he looked absolutely lost yesterday. And I think the big swing in the game was early in the second half when Alabama had a five-minute drive to open up the third quarter. They were down 15 at the time. In the red zone, they set up for a field goal. They faked it. It was a terrible play and they didn't get it. They were stopped. Clemson goes down the field, and they score just a couple of minutes later. And it's potentially a 10-point swing, at least 10, maybe up to 14. That, for me, was where the game swung in Clemson's favor completely. Alabama and just wasn't able to get any momentum They back. had nothing going no. after that. And Nick Saban just looked lost. And I can't take credit for this. I saw a tweet that just summed up the second half perfectly for me. Have you seen the movie Miracle, about the Miracle on Ice story? Yeah, Team USA. Do you remember in the Russia game, right at the end, Russia's always dominating everybody. They're like Alabama in that position. Right. And Herb Brooks is expecting Russia to pull their goalie for the extra attacker in the final minutes to try and tie up the game. And head coach Boris Tikhonov had no idea what to do. That was Nick Saban last night. He was not used to getting blown out like that. So you don't know what to do. He had no idea what to do. The best, one of the best hockey coaches in the world is doesn't even know that he better get pulling his goalie. Mm -hmm. That's something a lot of hockey fan, a lot of guys like me who aren't really hockey fans but have watched enough to just know what happens. Basically, that that's what you do. But he's just. He was never in that position, so he never, never, never thought didn't occur to him. That's funny. Well, just like in the 1980 Olympics, Boris Tikhonov did not think, didn't even know to pull his goalie 
uh, Michigan for an extra attacker. And like uh, Nick Saban last night, I was a little surprised that there was no change. In the Olympics, there, of course, was the change. There was Vladislav Tretiak, who was the leading goalie in the Olympics at the time, getting replaced by Michigan. Last night, I was expecting Jalen Hurts, to be honest with you, to come into the game early on. It'd be like a reversal of last year's national championship where Hurts was the starter and was benched at halftime, and Tua Tagovailoa led the team to a second-half comeback to win the national championship over Georgia. That's what I was expecting to happen in the second half, and I was surprised it didn't because I get Tua's the better quarterback. They need to be passing. He's the better passing quarterback. But your offense isn't working. And if you're desperate enough to go to for a fake field goal with 10 minutes to play in the third quarter, what do you have to lose? And really, and the fact that it's happened before. I mean, Hurts mm-hmm. has come in and won games already. Um, so, so, yeah, and it's just like yesterday. People, you know, why wasn't Joe Flacco brought in? And there was a lot, there was a question, uh, was it the Will Kane show or uh, one of the shows in the afternoon? And they wanted people to call and answer that question. Would you have put in Flacco for the last drive? And I was like, I'd have put him in in the start of the second half. Yeah. And, I mean, he has won a Super Bowl. It's just not working. You have that. We're talking here about the definition of insane or crazy. Keep doing the same thing over and over. And expect a different outcome. And that's what these coaches were allowing to happen. Do the same thing over and over and expect a different outcome. And when someone or a team specifically has your number the way Clemson did, the way it sounds like in the second half last night, they've got something on you. They were watching tape. They knew coming in that there was things to exploit. So you have to change immediately what you're doing to try and turn the tables on that a little bit and if you don't well it's pretty obvious what's going to happen I mean I know two is the better quarterback but they had him solved and you have to do something to change it up at that point if you're saving I'm glad you brought up what happened with the Ravens and Joe Flacco the other day I'm kind of torn on what John Harbaugh should have done there in the final drive because I know Lamar Jackson's the hot hand and I'm a big believer in the hot hand theory but Flacco's the better passing quarterback. He's the veteran. He would have, you know, given him a shot to go downfield. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, what have you. But when you look at Saban's case with Alabama, Tua was not the hot hand. He didn't have the hot hand. Right. And he didn't put in Hurts until it was much too late in the fourth quarter. So either or, it spells Clemson winning the national championship and dispels a lot of what we thought we knew about college football. And until somebody beats Clemson, they are going to be the team to beat next season. They are going to be the pinnacle of college football, not Alabama. Oh, no no question. Yesterday morning, um, was it the – it must have been on Mike and Mike. They had uh, Golick and then the, the, the musician fellow that was on the show here. I always forget his name, Fitz. Fitz, yep. Yeah, Ian Fitz – or not – he's not Ian Jason Fitz, Fitz. Jason Fitz. There's too many Fitz over at mm-hmm. ESPN there. But, um, yeah, they had Golick and him – uh, Gold Jr., uh, you know, over at Candlestick to watch the game, and they were talking about the weather. And then they were both agreeing how they didn't really see how Clemson could compete, and they thought it would be at least a double-digit win for Alabama. Everybody was saying that. Um, but then they did point out the fact that, okay, well, if Clemson does win and if they dominate on the outside chance that that were to happen, 
would Clemson be in the same upper echelon of college football that Alabama has found themselves alone in for a long time? I think right now they're and, above them. And yes, and they all agree that yes, if that happened, if what ended up happening last night were to play out, they were saying, yes, you know, Clemson might even pass them up now. And um, when you beat a team two out of three times like that in big, big games, um, yeah, I think that's got to put you. Doesn't matter what regular season, what's happened, and really, Clemson's been dominating the regular season too. So there's nothing to keep someone. It's not much of an argument there. I mean, you can argue that Alabama and Clemson are closer, but I think I would agree with you and say they might even be a little past. Alabama, if that's what you were saying. Those two are the upper echelon of college football right now. I'm going to put Clemson slightly ahead of Alabama because of what happened last night, and it's not even close after that. It wouldn't have mattered if it was Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia, UCF, whoever. Wisconsin. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. I know, I know the Badgers didn't live up to expectations this year, but hey, Jack Cohn, he gave them a win in the bowl game, so... And we'll see. Maybe there's a bright future there moving forward. So other than that, that's the bar right now in college football. Alabama and Clemson. Certainly. And you wonder if they're going to meet in the title game again next season. And they're not really giving us any reason to think that they're not. And that's what makes me wonder, what do people care about more? Do they care about parity or do they care about quality? And here's the thing. I don't think people will care if Alabama and Clemson meet in the national championship every year for the next decade, as long as they give them a good game, as long as they entertain them. I think people care about the quality of the product more than parity because would you rather see one of the semifinal games like Oklahoma play Clemson and get their butt kicked or Notre Dame play Alabama and get thrashed in the championship or UCF get beat down just because they're or were undefeated. People want to see a quality game in the national championship. And last night was about as entertaining of a blowout as you can have because it was Alabama getting blown out. And yeah. we've never seen that since Nick Saban's taken over. And and also with the way the playoff played out this year and the way Clemson beat Alabama and the way those two teams have dominated now, and it is, like you say, it's those two teams. Um, there was a report came out yesterday. They, there is it apparently, I don't know where this is exactly coming from, who's making this call, the committee, I'm not really sure, but they're saying they are going to play out the whole 12-year contract for this four-team playoff, and there will not be changes made. And that also then leads you to believe college football is pretty happy with it, and it probably won't change after that 12-year contract. But the way this has gone now, it's kind of making the NCAA and college football look like they're in the right for having a four-team playoff. Mm-hmm. The two team, the best two teams in college football met last night, they did. and there's no doubt about that. So, and that's the whole point. I want to point out that Notre Dame lost by 27 to Clemson. Alabama lost by 28. So I'm joking, kind of, not really. America owes Notre Dame an apology. Well, America gets a little harsh on uh, all the teams like that. that yeah, they do. One, one bad they loss. Do. One bad loss. I think they owe Mike McCarthy an apology, but <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to get into that. little tongue-in-cheek, but kidding, not kidding. Right. You bring up the Packers, though, and we're up against a break, but they have a new head coach. 
and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about them on the other side. You're listening to the Sports Panel on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Well, college football is over until August. So now we've got the NFL to keep us company. And for those whose teams are already out, you've got... The free agency, the draft, the head coaching markets to look forward to. And some news was made last night around the NFL, particularly in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Reports started surfacing around dinner time that the Packers were zeroing in on Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur. The offer was made to him. It's reported that he's accepted. And Matt LaFleur is set to be the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers. They gave him a four-year deal with an option for a fifth with the club. I mean, they really wanted this guy, and they that, got the guy that they wanted. Yeah, that contract, I was thinking a three-year deal, mm-hmm. and that really they could get out of it after two, one of those types of – that really surprised me, the deal that they gave him. And I'm still over here trying to rewire my brain because I was talking about with you off air, reading an article yesterday telling me that he coached under Chip Kelly at Notre Dame. Yeah, Brian. And I want to remember what source, I don't. I, I can't remember if it was a Bleacher Report article trying to tell me Chip Kelly was a coach at Notre Dame, get me all confused. Yeah, back in 2014, he was Brian Kelly's quarterback's coach at Notre Dame. That was his final stop in college before he went on to the NFL yeah, and, and spent the last four years in the NFL as an assistant. And it's very surprising how many connections he's had with the way he's moved all over the place, all the different places he's been, the coaches he's coached with, he's not even 40 years old yet. Mm -hmm. He's got the, I don't know, it's not a resume, but it's uh, like the connections. He's He's well-traveled. Yes, and of someone who you think would be in the later stages of their career, not just getting their first head coaching job. And that kind of surprised me when I looked into it. And I was really surprised the Packers didn't do... Um, second, possibly third interviews with these guys. Mm -hmm. I was not happy with a lot of really the only two candidates I was happy about were McDaniels. um, Once I looked into LaFleur and possibly now I can't remember his name, but the Saints offensive coordinator. Mm. Um, I keep thinking Dan Campbell. He's their tight end coach. Um, He's the Saints tight end coach. But yeah, it's just what what was the deal bringing in Jim Caldwell? A lot of these guys is kind of like um, what what you've been playing um, when you say bad Elway, you know, bringing in Mike Munchak. Yep. Um, it's like, what are they doing bringing in Jim Caldwell? Do they do that? Do teams bring in these guys thinking, okay, this is a coach that we're not going to want to hire. What does he say compared to these young coaches? You know, are we looking at, how can we compare these coaches? Is, is that basically what they're doing when they bring in the guys like Jim Caldwell? Okay, what is Jim Caldwell's philosophies? What is he looking at? And how does this young guy see it differently? And is that an upgrade over what Jim Caldwell is trying to do with his ideas and his football philosophies? I don't know. It's just really weird to me. It seems like every team brings in two or three former coaches, whether it's a Rex Ryan or a Jim Caldwell, a guy that is a good coordinator, but has no business being a head coach in the NFL, which Jim Caldwell does. 
or at least he did at one time have business being a head coach in the NFL. Rex Ryan, a lot of these guys, though, Mike Munchak's, they're coordinators. How do these guys keep getting interviewed? Well, it's you go through that cycle and you look for the next young gun, a guy like Sean McVay or Matt Nagy, and he's this young man, LaFleur, has been under quite a bit of quality head coaches in the NFL. He was an assistant on Gary Kubiak's staff. He has been with Kyle Shanahan. He's been with Sean McVay. So he's been around some brilliant offensive minds, especially some young ones here as of late. He was Matt Ryan's quarterback coach the year that the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, and Ryan won the MVP. So he's got a lot to do with quarterbacks. He was a standout at Saginaw Valley State as well. I was going to say the most important thing of all, he dominated the GLIAC. Yes, Boy, he he's everything. a Michigan native. He's from Mount Pleasant. He went to the playoffs three times with Saginaw Valley. And now he's on his way up to working with Aaron Rodgers. And I'm really excited to see how this works because the biggest complaint that Packers fans had with Mike McCarthy was that his playbook was kind of bland. It was boring. It was uncreative. That's not going to be the case with Matt LaFleur. I'm not going to say it's an upgrade or not. I'm just saying it's going to be a lot more creative than Mike McCarthy. And if you want some creativity, some sizzle, what have you, in your playbook, your play calling, LaFleur's going to bring it. LaFleur going to give it to you. (laughs) Yes. And another thing I liked about the hire is, and I think this played an important part in it, um, it's his first head coaching gig. Um, The Packers organization wasn't, obviously they were looking to shake things up. But they had done a bit of that last year with the new GM, with the new defensive coordinator, bringing Philbin back. Philbin's going to stay on the offensive staff the way it looks. Uh, Mike Pettin's in as defensive coordinator. He's going to stay calling plays for the defense. Um, So there's a lot of things there that I liked. I thought the defense improved quite a bit last year. I mean, a lot of the final scores weren't necessarily indicative of that. But the stats speak for themselves. And the Packers were getting to the quarterback like they haven't in a while. So I like what the defense was able to do. They did force a few more turnovers this last year. But with so many young players and it only being Penton's first year, I'm really glad that they were able to retain him. And hopefully he'll get two, two, three more years to really solidify that defense. And once the offense is playing better as well, um, hopefully it'll just all come together. But I really like that, that... The coordinators are going to stay in place. Um, it looks like potentially the whole defensive s- staff might stay in place. Um, I just really, really hope the Packers retain their offensive line coach. He's the best offensive line coach in the NFL, uh, James Cameron, and I just hope he sticks around. So you've got Matt LaFleur coming in. First and foremost, as a Packer fan, tell me what was your first initial reaction about the hiring? My initial reaction was... Who the heck is this guy? Yes. Why are the Packers hiring a Titans offensive coordinator? And it is eerily similar to McCarthy's hiring. Who the heck is this guy? Yep. And why are they hiring him? Because the offense he just came from was garbage. When the Packers hired McCarthy, that was, you know, Alex Smith was a young quarterback. Their offense was terrible. It was dead last in the NFL in just about every major category. You know, he comes obviously to Green Bay. Well, the rest is history. And now it literally is history. And unfortunately, the same thing here. But you start to look at, we got a few more analytical stats available to us that we didn't used to have. And you look at a few of those, 
the Packers had, I believe, the second lowest expected completion percentage in the NFL, right at about 62%, which is right at about what Aaron Rodgers was completing his passes at. The Titans had, I believe, the second or third highest expected completion percentage in the NFL at a little over 68 Um you got to believe that as far as expected completion percentage goes, Aaron Rodgers is going to match or exceed that. So if he can come in and give the Packers those types, give the offense those types of opportunities, because that's all it is that a coach does. Put the players in position to succeed. Obviously, he was doing that in Tennessee. The players weren't necessarily succeeding, but the analytics say that he was putting them in a position to succeed. If he does that in Green Bay, obviously, like I said, Aaron Rodgers is going to succeed. So I, I, it just looks like the analytical stats looks like a great hire. I also thought, thank goodness, it's not 20 years ago because I can go and look up this guy and I don't need to just uh, read about him in the newspaper or wait for the newspaper to come. Or It's just so cool how we can go and get all the dirt on this guy and come on this show the next day and have everything ready to go. And not that long ago, we would have had to wait for, you know, watch Sports Center the following night or whatever it would have been to get any details on this guy. So Matt LaFleur's numbers, again, may not look eye-popping when you look at them on paper, but the Titans' offensive line was terrible, for one thing. They don't put a whole lot of pieces around Marcus Mariota. No, Taylor Lewan is a beast, and that's it. That's it. That is their Really their best football player. So he's going to upgrade with the offensive line Matt LaFleur is. He's going to upgrade at the quarterback position as well. He's going to upgrade really about everywhere offensively. So I'm excited to see what he's able to do with this Packers offense because I really like this hire for Green Bay, and I think there's a lot to be excited about. He's a young, brilliant offensive mind that's going to bring in a creative playbook. I think that's everything that Green Bay fans want. We put on the poll asking, what were our listeners' impressions of the Packers' decision to hire Matt LaFleur? And I was happy to see 52% answered that they love the hire. Only wow. 9% said they hate it, and the other 39 said, who's Matt LaFleur? There, there you go. Um, and, you know, that's about, you know, about a little over a third of fans say they're Packers fans, but when they hear about a head coach hiring, they're not like us, where they're just like, oh, let me get on my my phone or my laptop and let me my tablet let me look this stuff up they wait to hear about it you know they're not really super into it so the fans that do have an opinion on it typically pretty high on this hire and and i really like that now that mcdaniels is not the coach of the packers all reports are saying he's going to stay in new england Mm -hmm. he wanted that job in green bay and i seen that's something obviously we weren't really that sure of is that the job he wanted, or is he really, really waiting to succeed as the head coach in New England? Is he waiting for Belichick to hang it up and take over in New England? Because obviously that job would be there for him if he's willing to stick around. He did not get the job in Green Bay. Like I said, he's going to be sticking around in New England. Is that surprising? I mean, apparently he really wanted that job in Green Bay, and he didn't get it. That really surprises me. He came out about an hour ago and said that the book is closed. He's not pursuing any remaining head coaching wow. jobs. so that is final. Mm-hmm. So how much does that surprise you? That floors me. How much? Really? doesn't surprise me that much. I am floored that the Packers 
with McDaniels being that interested in the job and really wanting it, you got to imagine he gave a great interview, put his best foot forward. I mean, that was my go-to guy. I mean, besides Belichick, that was who I wanted them to get. I think a lot of his history makes Packers fans, the front office, what have you, think twice that they were a little worried after what happened with the Colts last season, maybe some other off-the-field issues, what have you. That that is interesting points. Things that could come up um, when, as far as you know, second guessing things. But just overall, with his body of work and how coveted he's been as a coach, he's been waiting for the right jobs to open up, and this is the one that he wanted, and he didn't get it. I it it just really surprised me. Um, that's another thing that I like about though. The Packers are obviously extremely confident in their choice. And you really like that. You really like that. Maybe they didn't go with the safest hire. They they, they took a bit more of a risk. Um, but I like that. That almost gives me confidence in their hire even more. And I'm sure there's a lot more I could look into LaFleur as far as his philosophies, stuff that he runs. And I probably like him even more. And um, this this is obviously gonna, we're gonna have to go through an off season and really see how this guy runs a football team. But it sounds like a great hire. Well, he's a guy that a lot of folks up here will remember from his time as the quarterbacks and wide receiver coach at Northern Michigan in 2006. We have the head coach from that team, Bernie Anderson, join us on headset next, and we'll get his thoughts on Matt Lafleur and his protege's first head coaching job at any level. That's next from the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Sierra Story, Tripping on the Ice, and Cool It. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. Nothing is going to keep Sierra Inman down. The senior wrestler at Niles Brandywine had racked up over 70 wins through her first three seasons on the team before a motorcycle accident left her paralyzed below the waist. But it wasn't keeping her off the mat. She's still part of the team, picking up victories, crawling onto the mat to take voids. Her determination to stay involved is truly inspirational, as she shared with MHSAA Network affiliate WSJM in St. Joseph. I started getting some messages from different people in the community saying that I was an inspiration and some of them saying that they were having family issues but they were like my issues aren't nearly as bad as your issues and I see you and I just like relax and calm down and just like she can do what she's doing then I can do it. You can read more about Sierra Inman on the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to Calumet Ice Hockey goalie Alex Studebaker, who made 27 saves for the Copper Kings in a win over defending Division I state champion Brighton last week. And Carlos Johnson, a forward for Benton Harbor boys basketball team, who scored a game-high 39 points and added 12 rebounds to keep the defending Class B champions undefeated by topping Saginaw High. You can watch both games right now for free on MHSAA.TV. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. 
Our weekly Be the Referee feature takes a look at the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. Today, we're in our series of the most misunderstood rules in high school sports, and we're going to talk about tripping in ice hockey. In high school hockey, a player intentionally leaving their feet and knocking an opponent down is tripping, even if the puck hits the player leaving their feet. This is different than the professional interpretation and frustrates amateur officials at all levels. A player can dive and legally knock the puck off the opponent's stick, but if on the follow-through cuts down the opponent, it's a trip. A dangerous play, pure and simple. Thanks, Sam. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSA website now to register. We'll close this week with a commentary penned by Carissa Niehoff, Executive Director of the National Federation of State High School Associations, about parental sportsmanship. The NFHS is the umbrella organization for high school sports, promoting the values of educational athletics and writing national game rules. She writes, If you are the mother or father of a high school athlete here in Michigan, this message is primarily for you. When you attend an athletic event that involves your son or daughter, cheer to your heart's content. Enjoy the camaraderie that high school sports offer and have fun. But when it comes to verbally criticizing game officials or coaches, cool it. Make no mistake about it, your passion is admired and your support of the hometown team is needed, but so is your self-control. Yelling, screaming, and berating the officials humiliates your child, annoys those sitting around you, embarrasses your child's school, and is the primary reason Michigan has an alarming shortage of high school officials. It's true. According to a recent survey by the National Association of Sports Officials, more than 75% of all high school officials say adult behavior is the primary reason they quit, and 80% of all young officials hang up their stripes after just two years of whistleblowing. Why? They don't need your abuse. Plus, there's a ripple effect. There are more officials over 60 than under 30 in many areas. And as older, experienced officials retired, there aren't enough younger ones to replace them. If there are no officials, there are no games. The shortage of registered high school officials is severe enough in some areas that athletic events are being postponed or canceled, especially at the freshman and JV levels. Research confirms that participation in high school sports and activities instills a sense of pride in school and community, teaches lifelong lessons like the value of teamwork and self-discipline, and facilitates the physical and emotional development of those who participate. So if those games go away because there aren't enough men or women to officiate them, the loss will be infinitely greater than just an L on the scoreboard. It will definitely be putting a dent in your community's future. If you would like to be part of the solution of the shortage of high school officials, you can sign up to become a registered official at highschoolofficials.com. Otherwise, adult role models at high school events here in Michigan are always welcome. Thanks, Carissa. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSEA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. We're joined now by Bernie Anderson, former head football coach at Northern Michigan University from 2006 to 2011. And coach, Matt LaFleur was on your first staff at Northern Michigan and now he finds himself named the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Tell me first and foremost what he's like as a coach, what you saw from him as he developed through your system. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is what did I do wrong where he's there and I'm here. But uh, obviously he did some good things. Uh, you know, I, I, I go back and I think first uh, I knew his father coached at Central Michigan for 25 years, and I knew his father for a number of years long before I ever got to meet Matt. Uh, but his dad is a Division One coach at CMU for at least 25 years. And then, Matt, I remember as a player at Saginaw Valley, 
co- uh, he played for Randy Ari as a quarterback, and um, I was at uh, Michigan Tech at that time and uh, played against Matt as, a, as an athlete, and uh, he's an incredible competitor and a very good athlete and a quarterback that won a lot of games and made it to the national playoffs. Uh, then I remember him going to Central as a graduate assistant coach, and when I took the job and I looked uh, to fill the staff at Northern, uh, he was an obvious name that come up and uh, interviewed him and hired him. Tell me what you saw from him as a coach, how he worked with your quarterbacks, he was the quarterback's wide receiver coach, and what Packers fans could expect from him and Aaron Rodgers as they gel together. Well, that's that's a big question with a lot of answers to it, but I can tell you, uh, going back to the year that I spent uh, working with him, or having him work in our program at Northern, uh, I was it was his first full-time job at Northern Michigan. So obviously he was very young and inexperienced at time, at that time, and I was always very amazed at uh, how much football he knew, and uh, you know I suppose. Being a coach's son for 25 years, uh, you know, maybe he had a lot of that experience and as a player, but he just had a, a great knack for the game, a great feeling for the game. Uh, you know, when I look at Green Bay and thought about their head position, I thought that that's a program that that holds itself to a different standard in the NFL with integrity, honesty, work ethic, and, and accountability, and so on, and that's where I knew I'd met and I'd been in touch with him, so I knew he was interviewing, and I thought that maybe he would be a good fit for Green Bay because that's a lot of the qualities that he has. He is a, a very uh, hard-working coach, but he does it with great integrity and honesty. Um, you know, he, he's, he gets along with people, uh, players, coaches, staff, general. Uh, you know, he's, he's down to earth. Uh, yeah, I almost consider him a youper uh, in in the respects that you know a lot of things you hear about UP people and coaches and down to earth and outgoing and honest and good work ethic and things of that nature. But he also, from the football standpoint, maybe to answer your question, what can fans expect? Uh, they can expect that uh, I would think that the players will highly respect him. I think that uh, his knowledge of the game and that position. Um, he can't perform it like Aaron Rodgers, but I think he'll be able to get along with Aaron Rodgers and work together with Aaron Rodgers, where I would think that should be a more productive situation than it has been maybe with past relationships, at least at the way it developed toward the end. So I, I would, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him, obviously, um, knowing him and spending some time with him and knowing his character and work ethic and knowledge of the game and the other good thing is, uh, you know, everywhere he's a coach, you know, he's had success. And uh, I would think that success will continue to carry. And, you know, some people have it and some don't. And, uh, you know, I think he does. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with Aaron Rodgers. And, and uh, this is his first co- head coaching job at any level. So, uh, you know, and that's a different position. Uh, but it, it should be very interesting, and I'm happy for him and, and really think he'll do great in Green Bay. Talking with Bernie Anderson, the head football coach at Northern Michigan from 2006 to 2011. He was the one who gave Matt LaFleur his first full-time coaching job. 
When you look back at how Matt worked with the quarterbacks, was he a hands-on style coach? And, you know, he, he said it was his first job full-time. He had to be about the same age as a lot of those guys, and he's going to come into a similar situation with that with Aaron Rodgers, with Matt being only 39 years old. Did the age factor or the lack of the difference in it, did that factor into how he coached? Well, you know, that's what was a little bit amazing, I guess, is you're right. He wasn't much older than the players he was coaching, and uh, yet he had their respect, uh, and I think that was the biggest thing is he earned their respect. Uh, he he wasn't making things up. He, You know, being a young coach, sometimes you, you know, you just make things up and you go about your way, and, and he didn't. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about. Uh, he demonstrated that. He earned the respect of the players. And then, again, you know, even though he was young, uh, you know, I think his people skills were strong enough, and, and he, did, he did demand respect. He was hands-on. Uh, he was very... A coach is a teacher, and, and, and at that level and at that time, uh, Matt was a very good teacher. He, you know, he he didn't just make comments like "get your head out of your butt" or whatever, because that doesn't tell a guy really what to do. You know, he was able to say, "You got to plant your left foot, you got to turn your hip, you got to bring your elbow." You, you know, and, and he was able to uh, coach the mechanics and the techniques. And uh, even at the younger age, uh, you know, he knew. And now he's been exposed throughout the, the NFL, so I'm sure, you know, that's why I guess he's in position to be a head coach and, and he's earned that right. So you see a lot of young you see a lot of young people now in the NFL as head coaches and the young ones have uh, have earned a lot of respect and have been successful. So I would think he'll follow in those footsteps. Bernie, one of the biggest complaints Packers fans had with Mike McCarthy was they said his playbook was bland, was uncreative. Is Matt going to be one of those coaches that brings in a flavorful playbook, something that's going to be creative and maybe a little bit tricky? Well, I can only speak on, you know, what I what I see him do now, and I'm not inside those locker rooms in the last six years. Um, but I would think that, again, he has a great knowledge of the offense. And if you look at the offenses that he coached with the Redskins in Tennessee and and uh, the other programs he's been with, all of them have been successful. And offensively, I think he is a little bit creative. Uh, he, he does think out of the box. Um, he is not the old school that maybe McCarthy has started to get toward. Uh, you know, he is... He is energetic and, and does work out of the box and does uh, does know what he's doing. And uh, I think he's at that ripe age that uh, lots of energy and lots of knowledge. Oh, Bernie, uh, tell me about some interactions that you've had with Matt uh, since he departed from your staff and has moved on. Well, I was fortunate uh, to have a son down there uh, with equipment at the University of Michigan. And my last encounter with Matt was at the University of Michigan where uh, Matt also coached my son, or at least in the backfield at Northern, uh, so he knows Bradley, and and the two of them spent some time at Michigan. And then the day I got down there, I only had maybe 45 minutes to an hour to spend with them. But it was good to uh, take a little lunchtime and, and talk to them, and, and just uh, I was just impressed and, uh, and proud of them and happy for them. And, uh, and uh, it was great to reconnect a little bit and spend some time with them this past summer. Uh, I did send him an email. Uh, he did respond. Uh, so, you know, we'll stay in touch with him, and 
you know, we'll see what happens down the road here. But, uh, you know, you, when you have past coaches or players with success, uh, I just kind of sit back, smile, and, and happy for them, just really happy for them because uh, you don't get to that level by accident. You have to be good, and you have to be good in all areas, and, and you're happy to see people like that make it. Bernie Anderson spent six years as the head football coach at Northern Michigan University. Matt LaFleur was his assistant in 2006. Bernie, thanks so much for coming on air with us. Looking forward to talking again hopefully soon. Great. Sounds good. We look forward to Packers' success. More after this coming up on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops with you, Charlie Bramer back with us, Bernie Anderson, our guest, giving us some time to talk about Matt LaFleur, the newest head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Here is your Sports Center update. A new report says that the finalists for the Cleveland Browns head coaching job are interim offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens and Minnesota Vikings interim offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski. In less than 24 hours, Cliff Kingsbury has gone from USC offensive coordinator to head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. His name was removed from the Trojans' coaching roster yesterday after the school blocked him from interviewing with NFL teams, but it appears now he will succeed Steve Wilkes, and he will be the head coach in the desert. And finally, last night, Alabama center Ross Piercebacher became the first player in college football history to start four consecutive national championship games. Ross Piercebacher, the Alabama center, becomes the first college football player ever to start in four national championship games. How about that for an offensive lineman stat? Those guys don't always get the credit they deserve, but I'm happy to credit Ross Piercebacher because he is a native of Cedar Falls, Iowa. Well, we're on to NBA and the action last night. We had the Bucks winning, the Pistons falling. Let's start with the Bucks because I know you want to. They got the win over Utah, 114-102. I know you were watching vigorously. Break it down for us. I mean, they were hitting shots in the first half, but Brooke Lopez started hitting his 30-foot three-pointers in the second half. Um, he hit a big one at the end of the fourth quarter. It was really the dagger. Um, but it, I mean, Donovan Mitchell was on fire at one point. He was, I believe six of nine from deep and he's about a 30% three point shooter. So there was things, the Bucks were having problems with a pick and roll. Um, they weren't really fighting through screens much. They were just trying to slide underneath and guys were getting open shots and they were hitting them. And the jazz can put the ball in the basket pretty good. If you give them open shots like that, um, I don't think the Bucks would have won if Ricky Rubio wouldn't have gone out, uh, I mean, about five minutes into the game. He already had nine points in the first five minutes, and he went out. Um, and it was really funny because at halftime, Paschke and Johnson, who were calling the game for the Bucks, um, Jim Paschke said, it's going to be whatever team can clamp down on defense is going to win this game. The Bucks only allowed 40 points in the second half, and they won by double digits, I believe. So that that about sums it up, and that's the Bucks now. Um, on nights where teams can score with them, it's typically not going to end quite well enough 
for them because the Bucks have a good enough defense. When you're top five in offense and top five in defense, aside from that Raptors game, the Bucks defense has been playing really, really well lately. Um, in particular, you want to talk individual performances, Chris Middleton has been fantastic on defense. And there was a point where he was benched against the Knicks earlier in the year. Um, he was cold on the offensive side of the ball, and his defense was lacking. You could see his effort wasn't there. They bench him. He's been one of the Bucks' better defenders ever since. Um, so just things like that. Um, the first half was not good. Came out in the second half, put it all together. Um, as far as coaching last night, I thought it was interesting. The Jazz coach was a former assistant under Budenholzer. Guys were very familiar with each other. Well, how about Utah chucking up 37 three-pointers last night? They hit 14 of them. The Bucks hit nine. And Utah is the team that's known for their defense. They yeah. you know, did okay, I guess, as well as you could for allowing 114 points. All things considered, the Bucks are one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. But Milwaukee had to show off a little bit of defense themselves to be able to survive a three-point barrage yeah. from Utah. And, and to only give up 40 points in the second half to a team like the Jazz – I mean, that's really clamping down. That's getting it done. And that's the Bucks' defense showing that they really are a top-five defense in the league. It's not just a half-of-a-season fluke. Um, the numbers are real, and they are a top-five defense in the NBA. Well, apparently their net rating is third, and that sounds about right. Um, the Raptors were just red-hot. Um, that was a tough game to watch. The Bucks actually had a lead late in the fourth quarter in that game. Um, the score wouldn't, and how it went, you wouldn't really think that. But they actually did have a lead late in the fourth quarter of that game. But to move on to the Pistons, the Pistons have not shot over 50% from the field in like 20 games. I mean, it's an unreal number. Um, I've never heard of a team going through such a extended slump shooting. And... There are so many guys in the NBA, um, role players, guys like the Bucks picking up George Hill, guys that could come in and really give this team a shooting boost. I cannot for the life of me figure out why they haven't made any moves yet to get guys like this. Um, against the Bucks, they were playing two second rounders in the backcourt against the Milwaukee Bucks. That is not going to get it done against a top-tier team in the East and those are some games that the Pistons are going to have to win if they want to be a legitimate playoff team. They've got to make some moves and get some shooters on that team. Yeah, they fall last night to San Antonio, 119-107. to It's Detroit's seventh loss in their last ten games. They now fall out of playoff position, down to ninth in the Eastern Conference. Blake Griffin had 34 points, but only two rebounds to go with it. Did have eight assists, however. Andre Drummond, another double-double, 19 points, 14 boards. That's getting to be fairly typical yep. for him but they need a third guy yeah. especially at the guard position they need yeah. some kind of guard play and reggie jackson's not getting it done he's not that guy has that been proven now to me it's been proven for a long time it's been oh give let them be healthy let them all play healthy together they haven't had enough time healthy together i think it's pretty obvious now jackson is not the guy he I mean, he's been shooting under 40%, I think, for the season from the field. Um, he can light it up on any given night, but the Pistons need someone who's going to be consistent every night. Um, just even a guy like Kyle Korver. Mm. Like, 
I mean, he's playing for the Jazz. There, there's guys that they probably are going to be able to pick up. There's going to be guys getting cut and released and bought out of deals. There's going to be guys available for cheap. I mean, like veteran minimum type players that they can bring in. And I don't know what their take is on all that, but Blake Griffin, his usage is high. His efficiency is, is I mean, he's obviously scoring and he's their best player, but he needs to be able to be more efficient and having other good shooters around would help with that. Um, like against the Bucks, um, he scored 30 some points, had double digit rebounds, um, had 11 or 12 assists, but he also had 10 turnovers. That's what Jim Paskey calls a quadruple trouble. Mm -hmm. So, um, that that is not what you want to have a quadruple trouble that is not good well the bucks have a road trip coming up they are visiting houston tomorrow night they're a red hot team then they're at washington and atlanta those two far from red hot teams they're back home on the 15th to take on miami a team who is playing good basketball right now but the bucks are almost unbeatable at home 19 and 4 thus far yeah, and and that's another thing that lost to the Raptors was a bummer, but they went five and one on that homestand. I think anybody would have taken four and two, um, so they go five and one. Now, if they go two and one on this road trip, yeah, it's a road trip, but it's the Rockets. That's a tough game. The Bucks match up well with the Rockets, though, and and then obviously you know Washington and Atlanta. They just took Atlanta behind the woodshed the other day. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully playing down south won't really make much of a difference in the outcome of that and and then they'll be back home but the bucks are going to be playing a lot of games on the road the second half of the season um leading up to the all-star break they're on the road um i'm wondering how many guys from the bucks are going to go to the all-star game is chris middleton finally going to get in um according to his numbers eric bledsoe efficiency wise he's got a chance um brooke lopez if he stays as hot as he's been, he might have a chance. Um, they could potentially have three or four guys in the All-Star game, but it's most likely going to be just two. Looking at the Pistons' upcoming schedule, they've got four straight on the road, all on the West Coast. They've got road trips to visit the Lakers, the Kings, the Clippers, and the Jazz. They find themselves sitting at 17 and 21, four Ooh. games under 500 yeah. right now, and they're skidding. What do they need to do on this road trip to at least stay afloat? I mean, if they go 0-4, is that the knockout punch? Is it if they go 1-3, and do they need to split? Where do they need to do to stay afloat in the Eastern Conference? At this point, they need to just split. If they can just start playing 500 basketball until some reinforcements can come in, because um, obviously even if they add these players, it's not going to be immediate type of impact. It could be, but that's rare. Um a lot of times you're looking to give guys 7 to 10 games uh, to really, even if they're veterans, to really come in and make an impact. George Hill was ice cold his first 7 or 8 games. Now he's fantastic coming off the bench for the Bucks. Um, so that's why I keep saying, why aren't the Pistons making moves? They need to get it done now. Um, being 4 games under 500, that's going to be really tough to make up. Because everybody else is going to be playing better basketball in the second half of the season. Obviously, there will be certain teams. They don't tank, right? But they'll be tanking. So there will be some opportunities there. Um, I don't know what their home road splits really are. And I don't know, you know, like 
I'm very aware that the Bucks are going to be playing a road-heavy schedule. Not sure about the Pistons. Obviously, they're going on a road trip now, like you just said. It's not going to be an easy one. They need to get some reinforcements so in a month or two, they can hopefully be playing better basketball because this has not been just a couple bad games. The Pistons were literally about the worst team in the NBA in the month of December. So this has been going on for a while now. Dwayne Casey won Coach of the Year last year. This isn't something that he can just fix, apparently. It's been going on for so long. They need to make some personnel moves. I don't know if they're just tied up, their money, their hands are tied. It seems like there should be guys available. Let's touch on the Brewers right before we have to sign off because we're out of time. They get Corey Spangenberg maybe just because they're out of minor league options. And a lot of these guys like Keon Broxton or Domingo Santana. But like you mentioned to me earlier, Charlie, he's basically a left-handed version of Aaron Perez. You know, he brings to the table what Perez does just on the left-handed side. Either way, the Brewers making a few moves as they part ways with Broxton and Santana. They bring in Spangenberg, and baseball season is still right there yet so far. Thanks again for being here, Charlie. Appreciate you as always. Appreciate you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget Westwood Patriot Basketball this evening on ESPN-UP. 7 o'clock pregame, 7.15 tip on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.